Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look at the Lord's Supper. And here the Apostle Paul addresses some issues, some more issues that he's already been addressing within the community. Issues of division, issues of dysfunction. And he tries to help the Corinthian church get the proper perspective of what it should look like when they gather together. He tells the Corinthians that it's actually worse. It's for the worse that you gather. Because when you gather, there's divisions and there's inconsideration and people are being humiliated. Can you imagine that for a second? Can you imagine going to a church or being at a church that it's actually worse to go on Sunday mornings and participate in the corporate worship because of all the hurt and the pain and the division and the dysfunction. Has anybody ever experienced that? Please don't raise your hand. In church <laughs> or in your family. Like maybe you've gone to a family gathering and you're like, that was, we, it w- we would have been much better off if we avoided Thanksgiving this year, right? Have you ever felt like that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, this was the case in the Corinthian church. There was dysfunction. There were people thinking about themselves rather than thinking about honoring Christ and thinking about others. And Paul addresses the issue and he reminds them what is most important when they come together, how they are to conduct themselves in a way that is healthy, in a way that is honorable. We've called this series Church Health Matters. And one of the marks of a healthy church is that a healthy church is gospel-centered. A healthy church is gospel-centered. And in this passage we're going to look at today, Paul is addressing what we call the Lord's Supper. We do this every single Sunday. Okay? And it is it is a practice. It's one of the two ordinances that the church is to practice to remember Christ to reflect on what Christ has done and to receive the cleansing, to receive the benefits that he has for us and and be renewed in our commitment to him on a weekly, on a regular basis. And so I've titled this message, Understanding the Lord's Supper. When there's misunderstanding, when you come to the table, uh, it can do damage. Um, I grew up Catholic and we took communion every Sunday. Every Sunday as a little boy. I remember as a, as a younger child, my, my single mom, my mom who was single, brought us three boys to church and uh, we were rowdy. And sometimes I feel like I'm getting paid back by my, my toddlers. We were rowdy. We would give my mom such a hard time. I mean, she was just like doing everything she can to just remain calm while we're like making noises flinging stuff, like doing all kinds of embarrassing things in the Catholic church where it's very calm and quiet and stand up, sit down, right? But I remember I I couldn't wait to be able to take the communion. I had to go through some classes, some communion classes, because I wanted a snack during that time, one hour long, (laughs) one hour of sitting down quietly. I mean, if there's something to snack on, give me the snack, all right? (laughs) And so I wanted to go through these classes so I can get a little juice, a little grape juice or wine and a little wafer uh, and have a snack. Um, 
And, and perhaps, perhaps you can relate to that experience as, as a kid. If you've grown up Catholic or Lutheran or, uh, in, in one of the higher churches, um, you know, communion is a regular thing. And here at City Church, we do it every week. We partake of the Lord's Supper every week. And I think there are some great benefits of that. But also I think there are some, some dangers as well that we need to, to be aware of and avoid. And so let me pray and we'll read. Father, as we open up the scripture this morning and as we look at the Lord's Supper, give us understanding. And Lord, tune our hearts to your gospel. Tune our hearts to be in step with your spirit. Tune our hearts to the rhythm of love. Lest we be like a clanging cymbal. We want to be a sweet sound in your ear. And we want to be a joy and a delight to others as well as we gather with your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Alright, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 starting in verse 17. If you don't have it, uh, it's, up at the, it's up on the screen. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because you come together, but when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper. It is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you directions when I come. And all God's people said, Amen. Here's our big idea this morning. Jesus calls his followers to regularly remember him and his sacrifice for them 
And in view of this, examine their lives in order to align themselves with his sacrificial love. Jesus calls his followers to regularly remember him and his sacrifice for them. And in view of this, examine their lives in order to align themselves with his sacrificial love. Now, first of all, let's start with the problem here. First, we see that it's for the worst that the Corinthians are gathering, according to Paul, because of what's happening. Paul spends a good deal of time emphasizing edification in this letter, building up, okay? When we gather together, it's for building up of one another, and it's for the exaltation of the name of God, right? And for the Corinthians, it became more self-centered. It became more of a time to show off rather than to serve. There was showing off with their spiritual gifts, and Paul spends a good deal of time of addressing that and helping them understand the, the gifts are for service, not showing off. Okay, And so there was destroying, there was damage of relationships rather than edifying. There were divisions instead of uniting. Okay, And, and one of the, the, the aspects of the communion, when we, when we partake of the elements together, we, we are... Uh, we, we are partaking of, uh, we're uniting together around Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. Okay? This is what, as I look across the room and I see some diversity in our room, this is what unites us across our differences. The fact that Christ has died for us and he has made us a part of his body, the body of Christ. And we belong to him and to one another as the body of Christ. So instead of uniting around the Lord's Supper, there was dividing that was occurring around the Lord's Supper. And we know that Jesus prayed for this uniting for his people, that his people would be one. There was dysfunction instead of the body functioning as it ought to. There were old, there were, there were some wealthy people within the church who had plenty to bring to the meal. So they, they had these, they, they partook of the Lord's Supper in, in the context of a meal. It was called a love feast. Okay? And so it wasn't just a little wafer and a little juice. There was a whole meal that was involved with this. And those who had much were bringing their much. It was kind of like a potluck. You guys remember the potlucks? We haven't done one of those in a while. Right, Everybody brings something and you set it on the table and we share and we all partake together. It was more like uh, the, the rich people were bringing their food and they were getting down on their food and drinking their wine and their full and their buzzing. And then the poor person who's been working hard work and comes late and hardly has anything to bring is humiliated. And so there's this, there's this humiliation that's happening and, and a dishonoring, a disgracing, a despising versus a esteeming and a disgracing rather than an honoring and a not discerning the body. The body. And some theologians would argue that he's referring to the, the body of Christ here. The, the people of God. Theologians split on this, on, on, on that one particular part when he describes not discerning the body. Versus understanding the Lord's Supper. And so we want to make sure, because we do this every Sunday, we want to make sure that we understand what we're doing 
and that we're not following into we're not falling into the ruts of merely going through the motions and taking some juice and some crackers and saying a, a little prayer. As a Catholic boy, I remember I had a, uh, some prayers memorized, and so my prayer life looked more like just uh, parroting a memorized script that I had heard, right? And uh, there's so much more to communion with God than just going through the motions and parroting prayers. We can talk to God from our hearts. We can listen to Him. And so we see the problem. We see that there was dysfunction. It was for the worse rather than the better as they would gather together. So what's the solution? And how how are we to partake in communion? And what are we doing in communion? That, that's what I would like to address in this message. First of all, we're looking back and we're remembering. We're looking back and we're remembering. Paul quotes Jesus' words from Matthew 26 and he says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I sometimes wonder if we should we should change up how we do the communion and, and maybe uh, have have folks come up front and, and 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 say those words. This is the body of Christ broken for you and his blood shed for you. There's something powerful about that. We remember Christ and his sacrifice. And how many of how many of you know that we all need help in remembering? Okay? I had Thankfully, uh, we had our anniversary, 12th anniversary, last Sunday, and thankfully, I remembered. I remembered in the middle of my sermon. <laughs> no, I remembered before that. Uh, we, we need all the help we can get remembering. And God tells his people throughout scripture to remember and don't forget. Paul and Peter both say that it's, it's not tedious for me to remind you of these things. It's, it's good. It's important. We need gospel reminders. And so when we partake of the elements of communion, we have a built-in reminder for us every week of what's been done for us. We have a built-in uh, time that, that, that the gospel is communicated. So the, regardless of where we're at in the Bible, in our sermon series, or what songs we sing or don't sing, in communion, there's going to be a gospel proclamation every Sunday. And we're committed here to being a gospel-centered church. We're going to center on Christ and His death, His burial, His resurrection. And the communion helps us do that. It helps us to look back to that point in time where Jesus, the Son of God, stepped in and He came to redeem broken people, lost people. He says, this is my body which is done for you. And remember, when Jesus gave this, um, this when He instituted the Lord's Supper, this was during the Passover feast, Okay? The Israelites and Jesus and his disciples were doing what God had commanded them to do. Hundreds of years they had been doing this. Every year they would, they would kill a lamb and put the, uh, they would kill a lamb and, and, and remember when they put the blood over the, the post of the door and the, the, the angel of death passed over them. And the Israelites would recite the story of God's redemption, of God bringing ten plagues upon Egypt. And, and God delivering the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, into freedom. 
And so the Israelites would celebrate this. And this was a very special time. Me and my family have done uh, some Seder dinners ourselves. And it's really a powerful time to rehearse the story of the Exodus and, and, and tell of God's faithfulness. And we see in Jesus the ultimate Passover lamb, the ultimate sacrifice. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So I love that during this feast, we see Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, tells his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. Okay? This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your Sins. All of the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament point forward to the ultimate sacrifice that would one day come and take away the sins of the world. And so we remember this in, in communion. We remember that the blood of Jesus is enough to wash away our sins. The blood of Jesus has washed away our sins. We're reminded of the basis of our relationship with God. It's not because we're awesome and it's not because we've done something amazing. It's because of what Christ has done on our behalf. He gave himself for us. Notice the, the personal, personal touch there that he brings in, in, in saying, um, this is my body which is for you. Jesus gave himself for you. He loved you. And he loved me. And he gave himself up for us. And so we remember, we look back when we partake of the communion. We also look forward when we partake of the communion. Paul says, for as often as you eat of this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, we're preaching through this reenactment of, of, of Jesus' giving uh, the, the bread and, and the, the blood. We're, we're, we're preaching and proclaiming his death until he comes. And we're looking forward to that day when he will return. So we look back in remembrance and we look forward to a day when what Jesus died for, redemption for us, and renewal for all creation when he returns. We look forward to that day and seeing the fullness of that redemption, the fullness of that salvation come to culmination. And so we need the reminders and we need the hope. We need to fix our eyes ahead. And when we're, when we're walking through cancer, or we're walking through the grief of a loved one, we need that hope to be reminded that it's not always going to be like this. This world is broken and fallen. But Jesus came to set things right. And he makes us new creations. And he changes us. And we're to reflect that redemptive work to the outside world. Amen. N.T. Wright said that the Eucharist is the moment at time at which the past event comes forward to live again in the present. And the future moment of the Lord's return comes back 
comes backward in time to challenge us in the present. Okay? So the word Eucharist, some of you may be familiar with this. There's a couple different phrases that are used to describe the Lord's Supper or communion. And one of them is Eucharist. And it comes from the word uh, to thanks or to give thanks. Um, it's found in this Greek word here, uh, thanks, and it's it's translated Eucharisto. Or Eucharisto is translated thanks or give thanks. And so it's often referred to as the Eucharist or it's referred to as the Lord's Supper. Paul uses this phrase here in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty: When you come together, is it not the Lord's Supper that you eat? So what does it mean? We, we, want, we want to know what we're doing and we want to know why are we doing this. Okay, we don't want to just go through the motions like I did as a boy and just get your snack and get your, your ritual and, and do your in name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and just feel a little bit better about myself. <laughs> you know, we want to understand this and we want our children to understand this. Wayne Grudem gives seven, seven, um, aspects of what it means here. First of all, it means Christ's death for us. Okay, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. It also means our participation in the benefits of Christ's death. We get to participate. We get communion with God through his sacrifice. We get spiritual nourishment through this experience as we come to God in faith. Remember in John 6, Jesus said something really strange here. And a lot of people uh, stopped following Jesus because he sounded like a cannibalism, a cannibal, uh, or like that he was teaching cannibalism. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. They're like, this guy's crazy. Okay. This guy's crazy. Right. And later on, he says, it's, it's the flesh profits nothing. It's the, it's the, the spirit that gives life. And so how do we, how do we get nourished? How do we eat the, the, the body of Jesus or drink the blood of Jesus? Now these, these elements that we partake of are symbols that point to a spiritual reality, right? The cup of juice is a symbol of the blood. The, the, the wafer is a symbol of the body of Jesus. Well, the way that we partake, the way that we experience the benefit of this is we come to Jesus in faith. John six thirty five says, uh, who, whoever comes to me will never thirst. Whoever believes in me will never thirst, right? And so we experience the nourishment, the, the spiritual benefits from what Christ has done for us, we experience that the reality of that by coming to God in faith, not merely going through the motions, coming specifically to Jesus in faith. And through him, we have access to God. Also, it, it also refers to the unity of believers. Wayne Grudem argues he's in the camp that argues when uh, Paul mentions um, not discerning the body. He, he believes that that is specifically the body of Christ, um, in, in, off of, based off of 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Also, Christ affirms his love for us. I love this. 
Because many times we come in and we, we come to the corporate worship gathering. We come in beat up, discouraged, feeling condemned, feeling despair. And it's refreshing to be reminded that somebody loves us and somebody cares about us. And his love for us is unfailing. And he is 100% committed to that covenant that he initiated and that he has entered into with you and I. And we've entered in by grace. And he's the one that sustains the relationship. His grace, his love. And when we fail and when we fall, he is constant. He is steady, loving us. You know, sometimes when, when I fall the hardest or I feel like the, a failure the most, it's those times that I experience God's love in the deepest way. Because I'm reminded that it's not about what I did that, that allowed me to experience his love. It's just who he is. He just set on loving you and I. And the cross speaks to that. Romans 5, 8 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we come to the Lord's table and partake, Christ affirms that all the blessings of salvation are reserved for you and me. And we affirm our faith in Christ. When we come to the table, we're, we're saying, I believe. And I want to encourage you when you partake of the elements to consciously put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Consciously. What else do we do when we come to the table? We examine ourselves. We look within. We not only look back in remembrance. We not only look forward uh, proclaiming his death until he comes. But we look within ourselves. Not for salvation. <laughs> but sin that he wants to cleanse and change in us. He says, whoever therefore eats and drinks eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You know, it's real easy to just quickly go through the motions, right, in communion time. And, and what we do is usually we have a song that gives us some space to sit and reflect. We have somebody who comes up and shares a scripture or a biblical thought and gives us a reflection, gives us some time to ponder. Okay. And particularly what the Corinthians need needed to examine was their relationships with others because there was some dysfunction. There were some, there was some brokenness within the relationships. And so Paul said, examine yourselves, examine yourselves because the way, the way that you treat the body of Christ, your brother and sister, is the way you're treating Christ. Right? And so we look in, and, and I like to think of it like this. Um, playing guitar, um, if I don't play for a while, I have to tune the guitar every so often. Maybe once a week, or depend, depending on how much I play it. And if I start playing the guitar, and, it ha- and it's out of tune, it just sounds bad. It's, it's distracting to me and it's distracting to anyone else I'm trying to lead in singing and worshiping God. And our lives 
tend to get out of tune. We tend to forget God. We tend to forget who we are and forget what he's called us to do. We tend to drift left to ourselves. We tend to get out of tune with love. Right? Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 later tells the Corinthians that if you if you don't have love, you're just you're a clanging cymbal. Just making a lot of noise. In other words, you're you're out of tune. There's not a beautiful sound, right? And so this is a point in time in our in our worship gathering where we can get in tune with God, with his love for us. We can receive his love for us. We can be reminded that he is for us, not against us. We can be reminded that he died for our sins and that we have cleansing, we have forgiveness provided for us in Christ. So what does it mean to partake in an unworthy manner? Paul says, whoever therefore eats and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Sam Storm says that to partake in an unworthy manner thus entails at least three things. A callous disregard for others in the body of Christ. An attempt to combine participation at pagan demonic feasts with participation in the Lord's at the Lord's table and a flippant disregard for what the elements represent. We don't want to do that. We don't want to be those who partake in an unworthy manner. On the flip side, there are, as Howard Marshall says, in some Christian circles today, in some Christian circles today, the fear of partaking unworthily in the supper leads to believers of otherwise excellent character refraining from coming to the table of the Lord. When this happens, Paul's warning is being misunderstood. The Lord's Supper is the place where the forgiveness of sins, of sin is proclaimed and offered to all who will receive it, who all would, would receive it. Paul's warning was not to those who were leading unworthy lives and longed for forgiveness, but to those who were making a mockery of that which should most, should have been most sacred and solemn by their behavior at the meal. Alright? And so don't let, if you're not if you feel like you're out of tune with God and you come to the worship gathering and you come to the Lord's table with a guilty conscience, you don't have to let that be a barrier for you to partake. Because that is exactly why Jesus suffered and he died. So that you can be forgiven. So that you can be cleansed. And so what needs to happen then when you find yourself in that moment? Maybe you got into an argument with your spouse on the way to church because you're running late. Or maybe you snapped at one of your children because they were making you late. Um, what needs to happen in that moment when you've, you, you, when you've uh, displayed actions that are unchristlike and unloving and you feel guilty and you feel like I'm unworthy to partake? What needs to happen in that moment? That is a great time for confession. First John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's a time to experience the benefits of the gospel and have your conscience cleansed 
before God. And, you know, if your spouse is there, your child is there next to you, you can apologize to them. That may be a part of it as well, right? How can we partake in a worthy manner? We partake in a worthy manner with reverence for God, with thoughtful reflection, with gratitude. We thank God for what he's done. We come in faith. We come with reverence. We consider others. We partake in sincerity. And we partake with humility. So again, there were some rich, wealthy believers who were getting buzzed and drinking and indulging. And instead of um, making the Lord's Supper about Christ... And honoring Christ and, and his people, they were indulging and just going to a dinner party. Who shouldn't partake of communion? J.C. Ryle says this, that sinners living in open sin and determined not to give it up ought to on no account come to the Lord's table. To do so is a positive insult to Christ and to pour contempt on his gospel. It is nonsense to profess we desire to remember Christ's death while we cling to the accursed thing which made it needful for Christ to die. Who is the partake of the Lord's Supper? Now we have children here. Uh, my wife and I have told our children that um, but you can, when you become a Christian, you can start partaking of the elements. And ideally, when somebody becomes a Christian, you want to get them baptized shortly after, right? Lead them through that. And so only those who believe in Christ, the the Lord's Supper is for believers in Jesus. The Heidelberg Catechism says, for whom is the Lord's Supper instituted? For those who are truly sorrowful for their sins and yet trust that these are forgiven them for the sake of Christ. And that the remaining infirmities are covered by his passion and death. And, and, and who also earnestly desire to have their faith more and more strengthened and their lives more holy. So, here's some questions to consider before we partake. And we're going to partake here in just a few moments. Is your conscience clean when you come to the table? What is God's most pressing issue with you at the moment? Are you walking in the light? Are you loving and caring for others? And do you have an offense towards someone? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, that if you have an offense towards someone, you come to the altar to bring your gift, to leave it at the altar and go to them and first be reconciled. Right? And so Jesus doesn't want us to be hypocritical in our worship. He wants us to be genuine. And our relationships to others, if we don't forgive others, Jesus says, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. And so we must forgive. We must love those around us. We must work through offenses that we have with others within the body of Christ. Do you need to apologize to somebody? Do you need to go to someone? And lastly, are you striving in your own strength? Are you trying to please God in your own strength? Trying to earn his favor? Or are you trusting in him and trusting in his grace? And so we're going to partake of communion.